Hey, we're in Revelation chapter 11, 14 through 19. A kingdom takeover. A kingdom takeover. Please stand for reading of God's word. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants and prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and you should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in this temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you have given us a picture of what the end will be. It will be terrible for the earth dwellers. And so, Lord, we do pray that people will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also know that this rebellion and lawlessness that we are just getting a little peek at today in, in this era of time that we're living in, which will crescendo in the tribulation period, will come to an end. That Satan will be judged. There will be a time when God says enough. And the Lord Jesus Christ will reign on this earth. For that, we give you thanks and praise. The king is indeed coming, and the king is, will rule in righteousness forever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, the theme of Revelation is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. And remember, Jesus is coming to set up his forever kingdom. His forever kingdom. Now, don't forget that. Now, Andy Woods in his work has shared with us some information that I'm going to put up here in just a second, but I want to remind you, the fall of mankind, since the fall of mankind, there has been a temporary trespasser that has had charge on this earth, had authority on this earth. His name is Satan. He is called the adversary. And Andy Woods in his work wants to remind us of this. Remember, this is, this is the, since the fall, he's been the prince of this world in John chapter 12, 14, and 16, we see this recorded. Satan is the God of this age who has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ. He is the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2, who the believer wrestles with. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, and kingdoms in the heavenlies. These are demonic realms. He comes as a roaring lion seeking who may be devour, and the whole world lies under his power. Everyone not born again in the family of God are under the power of Satan. And guess what? Satan wants to keep it that way. He wants to keep people trapped. He wants to keep people deceived. He wants to keep people in his kingdom. But we know that God is going to do something. In Revelation, we have seen the seal judgments, the beginning of his wrath. We have seen the trumpet judgments. We've seen the bowl judgments. And we know how this whole thing will end. God will take over and take over planet earth. In chapters 10 through 14, we have seen an interlude, a pause in the action. It's between, it's at the mid-tribulation period where we're getting information, not necessarily in sequence. Remember, we have to deduce how the sequence goes, but it's giving us necessary information about the beginning and the end and the whole thing. Last week, we saw the death of the two witnesses. 
Remember, we believe that the two witnesses witness at the first half of the tribulation period. And then they are killed in the middle point. When the Antichrist rises from the dead, it's actually going to be a resurrection. Satan will pull this off. Uh, God will allow him to do it. And he's going to end up killing these two witnesses. And the world will just celebrate. These two witnesses are finally done away with. Because they've been prophesying. Anything, anybody who would come up against them, remember, fire would devour them. And so they were invulnerable until God said so. Remember, we learned from that, so are we. We are invulnerable until God says so. So these guys lie in the street, probably naked for three and a half days, and the world rejoices, but not for very long, because they are resurrected right before their eyes. The whole world sees this. Not only that, they ascend into heaven right before their eyes, and then there's a great earthquake in Jerusalem, and 7,000 are killed, and finally... Those who have rejected and rejected and rejected believe. They finally see the evidence that this is enough. Jesus is the Messiah and we're going to believe in him. But it will cost them their lives because very soon the abomination of desolation will be set up. The Antichrist will insist to be worshipped as God, insist the mark of the beast be taken, and those who do not do it will be killed or will be running for their lives. We are told to put our trust in Jesus Messiah alone, who is name above all other names. Name above all other names. This week, we're going to be transported ahead in time. We're going to see actually the second coming of Christ. Even the judgment seats and that sort of thing we're going to be seeing. We're going to be, this, the seventh trumpet is, is about ready to blow. And we know that there's going to be a kingdom coming that is without end. And every Christmas season, the prophet Isaiah says these words, which are germane for us today. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And watch what his name is called. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. And don't we need the Prince of Peace? God incarnate. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Finally, there will be world peace. It will never happen with humanity on earth. I don't care how they try to manipulate it. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God himself, Jehovah, will assure this. Now, John has seen a lot of horror as he's writing this stuff down. And he's got to be traumatized to some extent. Anybody that sees the the, the magnitude of destruction that he's seeing is going to be impacted by it. And God in his mercy, I believe, is giving him a break. He's going to calm his spirit a little bit. Show him a scene in the future where this thing will come to an end. And there will be a judgment and there will be rewards and that sort of thing. There will be a transference of power. And he's kind of like telling John and he's telling us hope is right around the corner. Now look, there's lots of things that go on in our lives. But remember, the God of hope is with us. Don't give up hope. There is always hope right around the corner. So hang on. A final kingdom takeover is coming. Verse 14 and 15. The second woe is past. Remember, the second woe is the sixth trumpet. A 200 million man demonic army which destroys one-third of the earth. Another two billion people die. That has passed. 
The third woe is Jesus opening, taking back the kingdom with the bold judgments imminent. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever and ever. So the trumpets are going to be ending. The bold judgments are going to be opening. Now you remember that there's the, the sequence of events. or seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bold judgments. This is, again, Andy Wood's works. If you go to his website, you just cut and paste, and you get something like this. But it tells us the rapture is going to come. Then it tells us the seal judgments will occur during the first half of the tribulation. The trumpet judgments, which I think that this last trumpet goes over here to open the bold judgment, so it kind of transcends the middle of the tribulation. And then the bold judgments come, and then Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom on earth. There's a sequence of events. The events get bad in the seal judgments, worse in the trumpet judgments, and worser than worser than worser in the bold judgments. So that's what's coming. So, these verses take a leap ahead in time. The remaining 10 chapters, he's going to tell us what's happening in those 10 chapters. Now, the kingdoms of this world, I want you to know in your Bible, if you have a New King James or a King James, then it'll be plural, kingdoms. But if you have an NIV, a New American Standard, it is singular. I think their translation is the best because God looks at this whole world as a single kingdom that will come under his, his domain. So God views the earthly kingdoms as one whole, the entire planet as one kingdom, not, not the ten that we're going to see in just a second. Now remember Daniel's study, Nebuchadnezzar the statue, the kingdoms of this world in sequence. So in the picture of the statue, we have Babylon. Now notice these metals go from precious to less precious, but from less strong to more strong. Okay? So gold, silver is Persia, then, then Greece rose up, bronze, and then the legs were of iron, this is Rome. And like I've said, this is, there's an east-west division today. The nations may change in that east-west block. But there's an, always an east-west block of nations on the planet. Then you have the ten toes. This is going to be the last kingdom that will rise up. This kingdom will be in place when Antichrist takes over. Okay, he doesn't establish these ten kingdoms. He comes and takes over these ten kingdoms, and he subdues three who try to rebel against him. So that is how man sees the kingdoms of this world. But it's quite different the way God sees them. He sees these kingdoms as beasts. Very different. So we have Babylon, Persia as the bear, the leopard as Greece. Remember how fast it could, it could take over. And then Rome is this just monstrous thing. This is how God views these kingdoms today. Nothing great. They're just awful. They are beasts. And I want to suggest to you something. We read last time in Revelation 13.2, that the beast, the Antichrist that rises up, has characteristics of each of these kingdoms. He's as a leopard, a bear, and a lion in Revelation 13, 2. Each kingdom builds on another kingdom. So Persia had part of Babylon. Greece had part of Babylon and Persia. And then Rome has a part of all three of them. And the beast will be comprised of all of these kingdoms. So in summary, Jesus is going to return he destroys the Antichrist and his followers. 
the nations will rebel against him, and he will establish his thousand-year millennial kingdom. And I want to suggest to you something, by the way, just a side note, the kingdoms of earth are all corrupt. You realize that. God views them all as beasts. All of them are anti-God. God had one nation out of all the earth that he called his chosen people. That was Israel. They didn't do their job. So God has raised up a people on the earth, global, not a single nation, global, that are his family. Okay? That's what the church is. So, we are introduced in Scripture to several small a antichrists. Nero would be a picture of antichrist. Many of the Caesars would be pictures of antichrist. Many people throughout history have been pictures of the little a antichrist. Certainly Hitler would have been one of those pictures. And Stalin also was. Now you probably don't know this, or maybe you do, but Stalin was responsible for killing 30 million people. That's what communism did in Russia. That's what socialism, communism, are cut out of the same cloth. That's what it brings. Okay? Now think about this. This is a quote from Stalin. Someone said uh, this. Or actually, Stalin said this. It is not the ones who cast the votes that matter. It is the ones who count the votes that matter. That was a quote from Stalin. Isn't that interesting? Our world is getting hairy, very unstable, and very different. And I can tell you, this is not your grandparents' world. This is not your parents' world. And if you're over 30, this isn't the world you knew. This is not the world you knew. Because we're rushing headlong to a one-world government, a one-world currency, a one-world economic system, probably Marxist, a one-world religion. Remember syncretism? We use that word an amalgamation, a blending of all world religions into one, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. You see the softness in Christianity throughout the world now, ready to embrace anything and everything, just to be part of the peace process in America or the rest of the world. You just pick your religion and you're worshiping the same gods. That is false. We're living in a world now where there's no absolute truth. You know that. And people are all doing what is right in their own eyes. Like it said in the book of Judges, as that ended. A world with open borders, mankind uniting as one, something that will not work, God says so. Now, think about this. I have a question for you. There are many people today that make an argument that socialism is taught in the Bible. And what they do is they use this scripture... Acts chapter 4, verse 32 on as their, as their reasoning. And what was happening in the book of Acts is that the church was being persecuted. The church was having to hide and they distributed things for their own survival, okay, because of the persecution. So they gave to one another. Pick it up in verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul Neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And they say, see, that's socialism. That's Marxism at, at work right before your eyes. I want you to think about something. In this text, who is making the decision to redistribute the wealth? The individual is. 
not the government, not a religious system. It's not coerced in any way. It is voluntary. Big difference. Big difference. In Marxism, a few have all of the power and all of the wealth. And in Marxism, wherever you go, wherever you go with it, corruption is off the charts and universally the people suffer. There's no place on earth where everybody in that culture would raise their hand, except in America today, raise their hand and say, oh, we want to be Marxists. We want to be Marxists. We don't want capitalism. There's no place in the world that that happens except in this country today who are ignorant of history and what's going on in the rest of the world. Marxism is a government without God. And the God ends up being the people's government. And this God is a stingy God. Because the Marxist God gives the people just enough. In socialism, it's just enough to eat by. Just enough to make it and make you angry and frustrated in the process. And make you unproductive because you have this feeling of why work? Why work if I can get it all for free? That's being promoted throughout this nation today. Marxism is false. It's a false humanistic God. Folks, Satan's temporary rule will end. It will come crashing down. And let me say this, aren't you glad? Yes. There is a time, folks, when God says enough. For any group, any people. And this is Satan's enough time. This is a final kingdom takeover. But I want you to see something. What is the result of this takeover in heaven? Watch this. 16 and 17. It's going to generate praise in heaven. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, and one, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. Jesus is coming back to reign on this earth. Make no mistakes. Make no mistakes. We have determined that the 24 elders represent the church in heaven. Now, this is not without controversy. People have all different ways that they look at the 24 elders. But I want you to think about something. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 give us a hint on what this is all about. Nowhere in Scripture is the term elder applied to angels. Some people believe these are angels. Angels. They are clothed in white robes in Revelation 4.4. 4. That's the righteousness of Christ. That's, that's the purity that, that, that Christ gives us. They have crowns. These are Stephanos crowns. Victor's crowns. Overcomer's crowns. Remember, to each church. He who overcomes. He who overcomes. He who overcomes. That was the encouragement. They have a crown. And what do they do with the crowns in Revelation 4.10? Cast them at the feet of Jesus. And then, only then, the church will reign as kings and priests to our God in Revelation 5.10. Only the church is redeemed by the blood of Christ in Revelation 5.9. Only the church can be described in this manner. Folks, it's a strong argument for a pre-tribulation rapture. The elders are not Israel. They're not the redeemed. They're not angels. Only the church. Only the church is called the bride of Christ. Only the church is privileged to co-reign with Christ in, in the millennial reign. Now, what do the 24 elders do? Well, you know what they do. You've seen what they do. They worship God. Their usual position is worshiping God. Verse 17, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, 
That's what we're going to be saying forever. You might as well just get ready for that. If you're not a very thankful person, you will be in the kingdom. The one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. This is the eternality of God. Remember when Moses was talking to God in Exodus chapter 3, and he didn't want to go to Pharaoh. And then he tries to make this excuse, what do I say your name is? I got you there, God. You don't don't ever tell us your, your name. And what did God say? You tell them that the I am has sent me, has sent you. The I am. I am that I am. The eternality of God. Because you have taken your great power and reign. You know, in, the, in what we call the traditionally the Lord's Prayer, but which really is the disciples' prayer. Remember at the end, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That will be fulfilled perfectly. The f- true believer looks forward to Jesus returning. And guess what? Everyone that looks for you look forward to Jesus returning. Everybody in here does. Everybody, yes, I do. I look forward to Jesus returning. Guess what? You get a crown. 2 Timothy 4.8, the crown of righteousness. And it's almost with a sigh of relief we can say, a righteous king will reign. See, we're just starting to see evil being promoted in this country. Evil being allowed to happen in the streets right before our eyes. And we have this feeling of distress The rest of the world lives with this all the time. They live with this all the time. We don't. We haven't. But we're starting to feel it. And so we're looking forward to that day when a righteous king will reign. They praise God for taking power back from Satan and the world system that Satan rules. Jesus will reign forever and ever. No more competing earthly kingdoms. Now remember... God has done something that sometimes is strange to us. He's allowed Satan to have a long leash, to have his way, so to speak, for a certain period of time. Remember, this is just earth time. This is just a very short period of time. This is Satan's time that he's going to be able to try the people to see who will follow God or not follow God. Now, I want you to think about something. God's created an order. His higher creations are human and angelic. And all of God's higher creation has the ability to choose contrary to God. It's contrary choice. Therefore, in order to show that someone really loves someone, they have to be tested. Have to be tested. Satan is the instrument of that test. Real love, real love will follow Jesus Messiah. God did not make puppets. He did not make people to just do what he wanted them to do at a certain time. He gave us the power of choice. He really did. He gave us the power of choice. Much contested in Christendom, but certainly taught in the Bible. But God will have for himself a people. A people of his, uh, that are called by his name, a remnant. Unfortunately, most of the world, though much evidence is given to them, will choose to follow Satan Instead of Jesus. Even in the tribulation when it really gets weird. And you see all kinds of things happening. People who focus. The earth dwellers focus upon themselves. Are consumed with the world. Will refuse to have anyone reign over them. They are right where Satan wants them. I will have my way. Deceived. And I want to suggest to you something that you must know, and I think most of you do know, Christians, you are a target. You are outliers 
You are the ones not going along with the program. And Satan's goal is for you to fall. To you be out of, out of the battle, on the sidelines, isolated. Do not fall for Satan's schemes. Remember in, in, in Ephesians 6.11, his methodia, his tactics, well proven, well worked out. He's a master deceiver. He wants to make you useless in the battle. He's a schemer, deception, discouragement, disillusionment, disgruntledness. Those are his tools. He wants you sidelined and silenced. Sidelined and silenced. Remember the bait of Satan. John Bevere wrote a book, The Bait of Satan. And in that, he tells us about the bait. We have all taken the bait of offense. Now in this, I have some little guy, you've seen this picture in another teaching, where this is us. This is us. We got our mouth wide open, and this is the bait. Now look at this is in this teaching, I was saying, the bait's whatever your thing is. Whatever your thing is. Everybody, all of us have a proclivity for some sin, more than another. And it's the bait that he wants to put out there to capture you in. But I want to suggest to you something in our teaching today, instead of those types of things, I want you to think about offense, being offended. Because I think that is one of the biggest things that Satan uses on Christians. This is the chain of offense. And I'm going to explain each one of these. They're not in your notes, but I'll explain these to you. Offended, you go from offended to feeling betrayed to a feeling of hate, then deceived, and then isolation, out of action. That's the sequence of events. Now, let me explain this to you. And you probably remember this, most of you are. Well, 10% of you will remember this, okay? That's, <laughs> that's how much people usually remember. But anyway, the offended simply means you've stuck your head into the trap and you have been caught. Smack. Just like that little mouse I caught in the garage last night. Smack. And I was so glad because he was, get, he was triggering every one of my traps. And I bought a special trap. And I got that dude. And I hope to get his brother tonight. Yes, the bait of Satan. Offended. Stick your head in the trap. It's a trigger in the trap where the bait is, bait is placed. And then there's this general feeling of betrayal. Okay, it's betrayal. It happens all the time in churches. It happens in families. A feeling of betrayal overwhelms us. I've been taken advantage of. I've been lied to. Now let me ask you a question. When, who in here has not taken advantage of somebody? And who in here hasn't told a lie? Zero. Okay, don't raise your hand and say, I didn't. No, zero, because then you just lied. And then you go to the next stage is hate. So we go from betrayal to hate. This is not a fervent hate. If you really look it up, it's a withdrawal of affection. It actually means to love less. And then you feel deceived. And in the deception phase, you tell me if this isn't universal. You go and express your offense to other people to try to garner support. Oh, I I, this is what this person did to me. I can't believe it. Oh, and and then, then you get support that comes on to you. People aside with you. Give fuel to the fire. And once you get to that phase, you are ready for isolation. Out of action. Your feelings are hurt. Some never recover from this. Christendom is just like, like tinker toys. Not tinker toys. Pickup sticks. Okay, pick You drop them down. Well, did anybody remember? Does anybody know what pickup sticks are? Let's for crying out loud. Okay, drop them down. 
They all fall down. Christendom is like that. Many, many never recover and they withdraw forever. And that is right where Satan wants them isolated and useless in the war. And many have fallen for that. So, it is, we are we're told in Scripture this. Your greatest weapon in this battle, your defense is the armor of God. Your defense is the armor of God. That's number one. I could have gone through all the things that are, but just for this lesson, armor of God. Secondly, I wanted you to think about the grace of God. And thirdly, I want to ask you and really plead with you to be a grace giver. Be a grace giver. Folks, all of us have been the offended and all of us have been the offender. Be a grace giver. Grace one another. What does grace look like? And I would suggest to you, grace does not hold someone's feet to the fire. They don't hold the feet to the fire. They're not into payback, even if they have reason to. Now, if there's anybody that has reason for payback for us, it's God. Aren't you glad that he graces us and he mercies us? You bet. Remember this. This is the Christian motto. If you ever get a tattoo, this would be a good tattoo. Thick skin, soft heart. Right here, just thick skin, soft heart. Romans, and then right next to it, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, you can't control another person, live peaceably with all men. Cleve McCleary, a Vietnam veteran, that Don actually knew. Don Henry actually knew. This guy was blown up. Eye missing, our hands missing. He had wounds that were awful. He could have went through the rest of his life offended at God or offended at the world or offended of what happened to him. But he, he, he coined this acronym FIDO. And you probably remember this. Some of you do. F-I-D-O. And it means forget it and drive on. Forget it and drive on. Don't get stuck in payback land and end up in isolation land. Don't hold grudges. Make amends. Choose to live in peace with another as best you can. We know one day Satan's offense schemes will come to a screeching halt. No more. No more. Satan will be bound You'll be out of the picture for a thousand years. And guess what? The takeover of planet earth, the praise in heaven generates, the, 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 the praise that was generated, is generated in heaven is quite different than what is going on on the earth. Verse 18, the takeover generates anger in the earth dwellers. Watch this. Jesus is coming back. All of these judgments have happened on the face of the earth. And instead of people repenting, they're becoming more and more angry because they know it's coming from the true God. But they don't want to recognize him as the true God. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. That's when Jesus comes back at his second coming. Also, that you should reward your servants and the prophets and the saints. Second coming. And those who fear your name, small and great, and you should destroy those who destroy the earth. This is all projecting forward, projecting forward. So the nations of this world, now think about this. Think about arrogance and the hubris of humanity. 
The nations of this world will fight against Jesus returning. Is that crazy? You bet that's crazy. And guess what? Sin makes you crazy. Sin makes you delusional. Recall, these are the ones. These deluded ones are the ones that in 2 Thessalonians 2.10 did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. In 2 Thessalonians 2.11, these are the ones who have fallen for the strong delusion. What is the strong delusion? Remember that Antichrist is the true Christ. That is the strong delusion. They're going to believe that Antichrist, setting himself up to be worshipped as God, causing the resurrection of the dead from the dead of, of Antichrist, that Satan has done this, they're going to think he's the true Christ. Now, what are they missing? The delusion is so strong. So strong that they're going to resist the witness of the two witnesses for three and a half years that nobody can touch. Giving the gospel message around the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They're going to resist that. The witness of the 144,000. There's going to be a great harvest of souls. They, won't all re- they, they are, are all going to be rejectors. But the vast majority will. And then they're going, to be, they're, they're going to reject the witness of an angel. A heavenly being flying around with the gospel in Revelation 14.6. And then finally another angel tells them, don't take the mark of the beast. Don't take the mark of the beast. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Don't take the mark of the beast. In Revelation 14, 9 and 10. Now I want to suggest to you something that is something innate to humans. The deceived ignore the evidence. See, people say Christianity is just blind faith. Oh no, it's evidential faith. They ignore the evidence. They will not be convinced. They are, not, they are confirmed in their unbelief. They are sealed by the devil. They are owned by Satan. And folks, that whole sequence happens all the time. Where people reach the point where they say, I won't believe God. I don't care what you tell me. When you get in discussions with people, they use diversionary tactics. Go to here. Go to there. Go to here. And they reject and they reject and they reject the truth. Psalm chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 describes these earth dwellers perfectly. Watch this. Arnold Fruchtenbaum associates this psalm with these people that are rejecting at the very end. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They're all in their arrogance together. We are kings. No one can rule over us. And what are they doing? against the Lord and against his anointed Jesus Christ. And then this, in their arrogance, they say this, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And then God says this, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, that scorn, mocking them. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king, this is the Father speaking, I have set my king, that would be Jesus, on my holy hill of Zion. And then Jesus speaks, I will declare the decree. The Lord, Jehovah, has sent me. You are my son. This is the eternal decree that the second person of the Trinity will be the son who comes to this earth and saves humanity from their sins. 
Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possessions, and you shall break them with a rod of iron. This is a coming in judgment, and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Oh, the world and its arrogance. Reject and reject. Find their own way. Try to manipulate around the truth. Remember, Antichrist's kingdom will be crushed. That's Revelation 19, 19. And the false prophet and the Antichrist will be thrown into the lake of fire, where all rebellers against God end up. And Satan will be bound for a thousand years, released to test the nations, and he'll actually deceive a whole bunch of people at the end of the millennial reign. Astounding. Astounding. And then Satan will join his co-conspirators in the lake of, the fi- in the lake of fire, where the false prophet and the Antichrist have been for a thousand years. That's kind of in the face of people who believe that hell is temporary. It's at least a thousand years. I think it's eternal, but anyway. What astounds me is that the people on earth under Messiah's reign will choose to follow Satan in rebellion against the true God. And it just shows you something. It shows you how powerful the flesh-fallen nature is. Now there's a promise of rewards. Who's rewarded? Those who fear your name. Those who respect God, revere his name. And remember this, God is an incredible rewarder. No one can outgive God. Now, in 18b, we see this. There's an appointed time that everyone will be judged. Every person in this room, every human that's ever lived, will stand before God. Either he's going to be your judge to condemn you, or he's going to be your judge to reward you. One or the other. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, your condemnation is gone. He's taken all of your condemnation, all of your sin upon him. If you reject that, he will be your judge for condemnation forever, separated from God. He's an incredible rewarder. There's a picture that I have here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5.10. The other Bema seat judgment is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about gold, silver, precious stones, or your, woods, or your works, wood, hay, or stubble. We'll be rewarded. God is an amazing rewarder. What you have done with Jesus Christ after salvation, how you have used the spiritual gifts, talent, time, treasure, will be rewarded. It will. This is important. This is true. This is real. Now, the other one is the great white throne judgment. Now, I don't like how this guy wrote this, but I kind of like all these, I don't like all these people here, but it gives a good depiction of the great white throne is a judgment seat of the lost. The books will be opened, and this will be judgment will take place after the millennial reign, after Satan and the false prophet are all thrown into the lake of fire. This judgment seat is a judgment of works done without Christ. The books will be opened, but the main book that will be opened is the book of life. And that book of life, their names will not be written in it, and they'll be in the lake of fire, separated from God forever. Tragedy of tragedies. The epitome of sadness. The epitome of sadness. Now we have seen the result of Christ's takeover on earth. Now we're going to see the takeover and the temple in heaven 
in verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. Now think about this. Remember, this is Revelation chapter 11. This is describing what happens, the last bowl judgment. Temple is open, judgment is coming, and actually in Revelation chapter 15, you see these seven angels being brought forth, 15, 5 through 8, with the bowls of wrath that will be poured out, coming out of the temple. Remember that these verses are not in sequence. So, we need to know this. The earthly temple is modeled after the heavenly temple. Most people know that. The temple on earth will be desecrated by Antichrist, the abomination of desolation. We know that. We've been taught that. At that point, there's going to be no more sacrifice, no more worship there to the, to the true God. But the temple in heaven is full of worship of the true God. The righteousness and the power of God is existing at all times. Satan may try to intimidate us for a short time. His days are numbered, but the king is coming. Then we have an ark, an ark, the ark of the covenant. It's a reminder of the faithfulness of God to his covenant people, Israel, and I think to us. There will be no temple in the eternal domain. In Revelation 21, 22, I saw no temple in it. And the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Look, at the purpose of the temple is a place where people could gather to meet with their God in an isolated spot. In heaven, we'll be entwined with God, so to speak. He'll be in, we'll be in the midst of us all the time. There's no place that you're going to go that God is he's, still that way now. But we will be, have this intimate relationship with him that is going to be very different. There won't be a need for a temple because we're going to be in the midst of God at that point. I guess that's the best way I can say it. Heaven will be a wonderful place. And I picture it this way. I was going to give you a picture of some sheep following a shepherd. And how the sheep just all just walk lockstep. And I can imagine for the first two or three billion years, we'll walk lockstep behind Jesus. Oh, he's going over here. Let's go over here and see what he's doing now. Oh, look at this. I can't believe it. You know, it's going to be an incredible thing. In closing, I might make it. We are living in changing times for sure. Scary times. And I don't know what helps you with scary times, but this is what helps me in scary times. Number one, we know how the story ends. We know how it ends because we study prophecy. Secondly, we will be in heaven praising God when all of this is going on. That's a good thing to know. We will not see the awful tribulation, and I think that's great news. At least I hope we're right on that one. We know that God is with us through it all. And we know that God has promised to never, ever, 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 five times, leave you nor forsake you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is with you through all the mess. Now, what can you expect from the world going forward? You know our world is changing. Certainly, America is changing. America is not ascending. It's descending into depravity. As much as the people in charge will try to tell you we're getting better, better and better and better, we are not. In general, look at this. The world hates the true God 
His Son, Jesus Christ. And guess what? The world also hates you. This is not a surprise. Jesus told us that it would be this way in John 15, 18. You know this verse. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, let that resonate within you. Because you are not of the world. You are not of this system. You don't belong to this system. You don't belong here. You are not of this world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So when you start to feel a little bit down, and you will, because you're a person, we have real feelings and emotions. When you feel a little bit discouraged, remember this, your shepherd is with you. And I like to picture it this way. My shepherd is leading me through the landmines. Landmine here, landmine here. And he's weaving me through them as I follow the shepherd. If I get off track, boom, boom. But if I stay on track, he'll keep me from the landmines. I was in Vietnam, and you know this guy, I mentioned him before, the philosopher Ed Brown, Doc Brown. We were corpsmen together with the Marines. And he said this, he said, Rick, one of these days, it'll all be over and we'll all be home. Said that before and you're familiar with it. But in the meantime, this is what we are to do. Occupy until the master comes. Luke 19, 13. And he called his 10 servants, delivered them 10 pounds, and said to them, Occupy until I come. Occupy. The one with 10 pounds, they all had 10 pounds. The one with 10 produced 10. The second one with 10 produced 5. They both had rewards. The third one with 10 said, I I knew that you were austere, you were a severe man, so I hid the talent and I didn't use it. And he was slayed. He was slayed. Occupy until I come is the key, folks. So what does that mean to me? No tribulating, no panic, no quitting. Occupy. This is a don't give up, don't quit attitude. Now look, we have plenty to be discouraged about. But I would encourage you, don't give up, don't quit. Occupy. Be about the master's business until he comes. Occupy. Do not let anything distract you. And there's plenty of things coming at us. We've said this like a million times. The media, which has brainwashed most of America, is, is, has a decided, is a decided effort to get you off track. Tons of negative news, tons of indoctrination. And don't let anyone throw you off track. Keep moving forward. And don't let anyone take your eyes off the target. Hear the shepherd's voice. The more disgruntled you feel, pause and listen for the shepherd. Don't get bogged down in the minutia of life. The things that the world wants to tell you are important, but aren't important. Don't, let, don't get distracted from your mission. And then let us do this. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not Give up. Now, did you catch it? Don't give up. Don't give up. Never give up or give in is a characteristic of a servant of the master. It's characteristic of an occupier. An occupier. Folks, this thing is ending. Our lives are ending. Earth is ending. There will be a time when something else, when God reigns here, something else will be coming. A new future. 
And I'm looking forward to a kingdom that will never end. How about you? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we are able to study the word of God. We thank you that the uh, seventh trumpet does open the bold judgments. We, we are thankful that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever. We are thankful that there will be law and order in, on planet earth again, that there will be peace on planet earth again, and there will be a, a king that will be reigning, that will be reigning forever, the Lord Jesus Christ. For this, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you have a plan to bring people into your kingdom, that you sent your son here to die for us. And I pray that people today would come to know you as their savior, believe that, they, that you took their sins on the cross, believe that you died and rose again for them, and they accept the gift of life that you offer to all people. That's what I pray today for people that are not in your kingdom, that are earth dwellers, that will, if they're here during this time, experience these awful things. Something that we could avoid if we just believe and receive the gift. Lord, I pray that today for a multitude of people. For we who are distressed and distraught, I pray for the peace of God that passes all understanding. The guard, stand sentinel watch over our hearts and minds. And we will focus on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, those are the things we will think about. We will choose to walk in your peace. We will choose to do that, Lord, because we are your people and you have afforded this to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.